Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. It's Steph. It is 8.06 on, I think, December the 10th. What's the Sunday? Monday, Tuesday. It is the 12th. Let's get some freedom in here. Let's get some freedom in here. So I'm going to indulge myself, and I think that this will be of some use to you. And no, that doesn't mean running through the entire score of the Mikado, though. Trust me, when it comes to Podcast 1000, uh, that's a pretty good idea, actually. But um, I would like to uh, chat just a little bit about types of uh, things, types of letters that I receive. Well, why is I think uh, this is important or helpful? Well, because I think that um, I am not alone in <laughs> receiving these kinds of letters and uh, communications of various kinds, and I think it could be useful for other people who, um, who receive this kind of stuff. The one thing that I would say, and I don't think it's because I have uh, not received communications from highly educated listeners. I certainly have uh, doctors, uh, one guy who's a doctor and a lawyer, a uh, couple of professors, uh, people who are, um, uh, you know, educated and, and should have some sense. Although, of course, given what we know about public education, it's not exactly the first thing that we would expect. But I have received these kinds of uh, communications from a wide variety of people. And... I think that I sort of wanted to run through the general objections that they have to, uh, I would say, philosophy as a whole, but they think it's to do with my, uh, my ideas. So let's have uh, a little chat about that and uh, see if this corresponds to anything that is going on in your life. My good friend George has asked me to watch the sort ofs. He says that uh, I only lose some of my verbal tics when I'm yelling, but I don't particularly want to yell every podcast. <laughs> However enticing that might be for you, I just don't think I'm going to do that. So I will try and watch the sort ofs, and thank you for the reminder. I appreciate that. Quality. We always strive for quality. It may seem like quantity, and that's for sure, but uh, we aim at quality from time to time as well. Uh, I would also like to recommend as a book that I bet <laughs> is going to be frustrating in the long run, but has some teasing, pleasing stuff at the beginning. Uh, it's a letter to a Christian nation by Sam Harris, which I've just started listening to. I don't plug uh, products on this uh, show. In fact, I've made a very conscious decision to issue advertising, not because I don't think that uh, advertising is a valid and noble aspect of capitalism, but rather because I think that given the size of show, although it's growing very rapidly, the size of the show that we have right now would only be able to grab the kind of ads that might not elevate the discussion of wisdom, truth, virtue, and beauty to um, uh, to higher levels. So I'm not going to try and uh, talk about the evils of coffee. And, you know, this is some of the other stuff that I've seen in the Mark, uh, Mark Stevens' uh, uh, Adventures in Legal Land show and Lou Rockwell and other places where they have ads. Um, there's some pretty nutty stuff that comes up, and you can't control some of these ads. And this is also true of of um, Free Talk Live uh, and other shows. I mean, I have no problem with what they're doing, of course. <laughs> no problem at all. But I think that for a show about philosophy, for me to have uh, ads for uh, weight loss and, and uh, you know, uh, <laughs> other kinds of conspiracy theories and so on, the stuff that sort of does float around in an economic sense around the libertarian movement might not be the wisest of connections. So I will eschew the income in order to... Uh, uh, gain the longer-term view of a bigger perspective, uh, which is that I'd like to do the full-time, of course, 
so I've decided to eschew uh, the advertisements. But um, but before we get to uh, the general topic, I just wanted to clean up a few uh, issues uh, I had um, uh, criticized or potentially criticized the um, uh, our good friend Island Girl on the board for not posting her sources for her statements about uh, bison and uh, the uh, bison and the uh, use to which the Indians put the bison. The reality of the responses that she put up, and she did to her credit, absolutely put up uh, the post. So my uh, feeling that she wasn't going to was incorrect, and I apologize for that. But she posted uh, almost uh, nothing but government sources and no primary sources. Uh, so again, it's just it's just somebody else's interpretation. And the thing to be careful of, of course, in the um, in the uh, pursuit of this kind of stuff, like when you pull out a heavy-duty criticism of other people that they're twisting facts to suit their theories, then you have to be uh, on pretty sure, uh, certain ground yourself, I think. So there is lots of uh, information that we've gotten about um, uh, the the bison and so on, and there's some government sources where people are basically the same, saying the same thing as Island Girl is, which is that the Indians were efficient and used every part of the um, uh, every part of the uh, the buffalo, uh, the bison, whereas the capitalists were wasteful and so on, and that of course doesn't really make uh, a whole lot of sense uh, when it comes to uh, how we see the world, right? I mean, a capitalist is not going to kill a bison and not use any part of it that anybody wants that's economically productive, right? I mean. Uh, when you get rid of a cow, you get, uh, I mean, to the point where they've recycled a little bit too much, which is where you get some of the mad cow stuff, where they're eating their own brethren, so to speak. But they will recycle. I mean, they get the leather. They'll use the horns. They'll use every conceivable part of the uh, uh, of the meat. They'll use the blood, I think, for fertilizer and feed. And so they will try to use every conceivable part, whereas some of the tactics that the Indians used to kill the bison, such as, you know, setting a big fire in a square around the herd, and running them off cliffs and so on would not seem to me to be the most efficient use of everything. And this idea that the natives, you know, prayed respectfully to the bison they killed and lived in harmony with the land and so on uh, is just a piece of nonsense and racist propaganda. Uh, here the Indians are, um, you know, they're kind of like us, right? <laughs> this phrase, they're kind of like us, uh, can be used uh, for a, a wide variety of things, really. Uh, it's what I was talking about on Sunday with our friends, the uh, the tortured and brutalized Muslim children and young adults uh, who uh, who still act out in bad ways and do evil things. But uh, who are they like? Well, they're kind of like us. They're kind of like how we would be in those uh, situations. Because if you don't uh, recognize the humanity of the Indians and that they did not live in harmony uh, with nature any more than... Uh, Whitey lived in harmony with nature, and that being in harmony with nature usually means getting killed by a saber-toothed tiger <laughs> or killed by cholera, uh, that the Indians were, who are they kind of like us? They're kind of like us. And um, I say this uh, both to um, to rescue them from the noble savage ideation, which is very common and arises from a, uh, a hatred of the self, a hatred of uh, Western capitalism, and also a, a guilt uh, over how they're currently being treated. So I like to rescue Indians uh, or Native Americans, Native Canadians from the stereotype of the noble savage and also from the stereotype of the uh, the drunken wastrel, which is the other aspect. I spent a fair amount of time uh, around Indians when I was working up north. Uh, they would actually work for us to do some of the initial brush clearing 
and they were not. I mean, they littered like crazy. They were, you know, just like anybody else. Uh, they weren't noble savages, and they weren't, you know, drunken wastrels. They um, uh, are, of course, um, uh, drunken wastrels to a much larger degree than anybody else because of the way that the government treats them. And if you and I were in that position, and also because of genetic susceptibility to alcohol, uh, but, uh, you know, sort of intellectually and emotionally and psychologically, uh, they're kind of like us, uh, as is true of just about anyone else. So where there was no economic incentive for them to use every single aspect of the buffalo uh, or the bison, then by golly, they wouldn't. And where there is economic incentive, then... And so there's always this war about who's better. Well, who's better is who lives in a better circumstance. I mean, I hate to say it. I know that sounds a bit fatalistic. But historically, it's true, right? I mean, there weren't a whole lot of capitalist enterprises started in the Middle Ages. Why? Because people weren't entrepreneurial? Of course not. Because people weren't smart? Of course not. <laughs> because there was no uh, capacity for them to retain their earnings because of the uh, aristocracy and the church. And, uh, eh, you know, the 500 years of getting burnt up in uh, Inquisition where they, you know, would kill heretics and witches and anybody who disagreed with them and anybody who informed against anybody else and that sort of genocidal stuff put a cramp on the entrepreneurial spirit just a tad. Uh, did that didn't mean that people are back in the Middle Ages were really different from us? No, of course they weren't different from us. They were just like us. Uh, the difference is in the circumstances, right? The Muslims are just like us. The difference is in the circumstances. The uh, Indians in the past were just like us. They were both greedy and wasteful. And the only thing that curbs the wastefulness is the greed. And that's, you know, that's a good thing, I think, because there's no other way to do it. And uh, if uh, if the youth today are getting into uh, MMA and uh, getting into bum fights and getting into all of these kinds of horrible um, end of the uh, end of civilization decadent stuff, then it's not because there's something wrong with the kids today. It's just uh, these are the circumstances that they've grown up in. They've grown up in an enormously um, permissive, uh, both alternately permissive, um, dismissive, contemptuous, scornful, and brutal society, which is not doing too well by children, I would say, these days. Um, but still better than most times in the past, and they've been raised without limits, right? I mean, it's uh, it's always a deep shock when um, uh, when somebody who's... Uh, I, it's hard to say exactly what the age cutoff is. I've sort of noticed it around people who are about 8 to 10 years younger than I am, uh, who grew up in this sort of MP, MTV anything goes kind of thing, uh, and who had a distinct absence of parental standards, or who had nothing but cultural references that mocked any kind of standards. Uh, where a young uh, a young sneering kid is considered to be the icon of wisdom, whereas a uh, a wise older man is considered to be nothing but priggish and and uh, silly and so on. And there's of course some truth in that to the, those older men and women who aren't philosophical. But um, I sort of eight to ten years younger. There's just a deep shock when uh, these um, these uh, fine young men and women uh, run up against the standard that is intransigent. And we had this. Like that they don't already agree with. Uh, and so these are the people who are drawn to libertarian libertarianism and anarchism because it seems to hold out the promise of uh, no rules. And uh, then when when moral standards are put in place that actually affect them, right? I mean, we're not out there killing and stealing and we're not working for the IRS and so on. So when moral standards come out that actually affect them, there is a deep and enraging shock, right? I mean, it's a, it's a spoiled brat kind of reaction in a way. Uh, and uh, this is said with some sympathy, of course, because there's not been a whole lot of limits that they can take seriously, right? The limits that are put on children in school are all kind of silly and obviously petty and obviously power-based and, and so on. But when you are um, uh, when you are given a moral standard or you know stand slighted by a moral standard that actually affects how you live your life, 
you know, like a guy I knew who was a uh, who worked for me. He was a uh, a friend of mine, and he said uh, at one point, he said, "Well, you know, if uh, if you haven't uh, gone all the way by the third date, then it's not obviously something's weird, something's wrong, something you know, it's not going to go anywhere." <laughs> it's like, I mean, my God, man, my God, I mean, where do you even start with that? Um, how do you even tell uh, someone about? trust and intimacy and growth and patience and so on and some of the wisdom that has been handed down that uh, needs to be relearned sometimes you know about uh, about patience and getting to know someone and of course every single media uh, that you see the couple meet have an instant attraction fall happily into bed and then build a relationship thereafter and you never get to see much of the thereafter because those kinds of thereafters generally um, not not very good so and uh, I'll now get flamed for saying uh, by people who now say that I'm a prude and so on. And this is, uh, I'm not going to try and prove this. Uh, I've already gone through a number of these kinds of proofs. But, uh, you know, give it a shot, right? Just just try waiting. See what happens, right? Just try waiting and see what happens. So I wanted to sort of talk about some of the letters that I get and uh, uh, the types of letters that I get. And this will sort of lead on this afternoon, if I don't get interrupted by another impulse, uh, to a uh, an overview of the arguments and how they've stood up over the last year or so. And I sort of would go larger and say over the last 25 years, but I'll condense it down to just a little bit, uh, depending on how traffic's going. And we will uh, have a look at the arguments and how they fared, because I've had some very smart people attack in uh, some pretty passionate ways the arguments that we've put forward, or that I've put forward originally, in the Lou Rockwell articles and on my blog, and of course in these podcasts, and to a smaller degree in the videos, and uh, it's worth having a look at how they've stood up. But the types of letters that I get are sort of, uh, I think, helpful. I do get sort of the one-liners, you know, at a boy kind of stuff, and those are nice. Of course, I appreciate those; uh, those are uh, good. But of course, they don't. Um, uh, I, I don't know why they're agreeing with me. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's nice that they think I'm doing a good job, but. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure why exactly they agree with me, and that's um, you know that's somewhat cause for concern, right? I mean, if if I write to some mathematician saying "great proof!" exclamation mark exclamation mark exclamation mark, I'm not sure that he's going to take. He's going to say, "Wow, I'm glad you like it." And this is a little bit different from mathematical proof because this strikes the humanity more so than you know 20 years of studying math. But it's still it's nice. But uh, I'm not sure if the next time I write an article, if it doesn't happen to strike something that they like, then um, they're going to say, bad article, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, you know. You're the best guy ever. You're the worst guy ever. <laughs> You're nothing in between. Uh, that sort of stuff. I mean, I appreciate those positive uh, emails, and I get quite a few of them, so don't think I'm too hard done by, but I'm not sure exactly what it is that, that they like, um, especially when I put forward the arguments um, I've had uh, a lot of emails, of course, about the argument for morality, and I was very careful to put forward the argument for morality in syllogistic format so that nobody would have to wade through the text and extract the principles. And um, since the argument for morality was published, which is uh, um, almost a year ago, uh, nobody has actually passed out any of the syllogisms. I mean, of the, I don't know how many emails I've gotten on the argument for morality, uh, no, uh, no one, not one single person, education notwithstanding, not one single person has um, looked at the syllogisms that are all very carefully and constructed and laid out. I think there's five or uh, five or six of the different proofs. I've got a nice table there equating everything. I mean, that's about as rigorous and as, as concise as you can get. And I've had people quibble about language. 
uh, I've had people say that um, universally, this is a universally preferred behavior is all about who likes ice cream uh, of different flavors and how can that be universal. I've had all the nonsense in the world poured upon it, but nobody has actually taken the time to pass out the syllogisms, which are not 20 steps. I think the longest one is five and the shortest one is three. Um, that, that hasn't, a, nobody has seen fit to, uh, to respond uh, to that. And that is a shame, I think. Uh, but I also think that it's uh, because I, I'd, write, I'd like for someone to take a real swing at the syllogisms to see if they stand. I mean, this is just what I think is the case, and I think that they're pretty uh, bulletproof, pretty ironclad. But uh, I would really like when, of course, people disappoint me, right? They're like, you're wrong. And it's like, wow, tell me how. I mean, that would be great, right? You're wrong because your nose is funny. Or you know, it's like you're wrong because I don't like your font. And uh, that is always a disappointment. Oh, what a disappointment. And I also get the, from the educated people in particular. This is, um, <laughs> this is kind of funny. I got a couple of these yesterday with regards to, um, uh, because I got two published on the Rockwell uh, in uh, sort of two, uh, two, uh, two of their working days. Um, I, um, I got a bunch of emails where people had read a bunch of articles. And one guy, I was going to read it, but it's just too long. And I'm going to imitate him. <laughs> this is not how he sounds in my mind. But it's something like this. Ah, Mr. Mario, your, your articles are very curious, I must say. Uh, you do have a habit of asking questions and then answering them yourselves. And then there's a little bit of tangentialism, but we can forgive that in somebody as eager for communication as you have. Uh, what? And uh, I just wanted to point out that uh, Diogenes and Socrates do take issue with some of your perspectives. And, and it is really something that you might want to look into if you do get the chance to dip into a library, fine young man. Um, I just wanted to point out as well that uh, I have uh, received uh, 14 doctorates from a variety of institutions around the world. And, and I also wanted to point out that um, uh, I've mastered not only interstellar, but interspatial and interdimensional travel. And I just wanted to point out that in my travels and speaking with the various dimensional beings I've come across, that I wanted to point out that uh, they all say, and I, I can't help but concur with them, that... Uh, that you're, uh, you're completely incorrect, and uh, I really can't uh, uh, get into why, or uh, because it's multidimensional interstellar language symbols which would probably blow your little mind. But I just wanted to point out that you are, in fact, incorrect, and uh, I hope that you take this as a sign of encouragement. I do want you to continue to do what you do, because obviously you enjoy it, and it does occupy your time, whereas otherwise you would probably be groping yourself or some goat. Yours sincerely, Brigadier J.J. Major General, blah, 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 blah. Who seriously wishes that Borneo was still a colony? Thank you. These kinds of guys I get quite a few of, right? And they always sign uh, with uh, a uh, alphabet soup of mishmash after their name and doctor uh, so-and-so. I'm still waiting for the master of interdimensional travel to sign his name. Those would be more of the uh, religious people who write to me. But those kinds of people, uh, in one form or another, right, they just use the argument from authority. Uh, they establish themselves as an authority. They refer me to a bunch of books that they assume I've never read. Uh, one guy referred me to Plato. <laughs> oh, my God. Ah! <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, talking to uh, an experienced doctor and saying, you know, there's this Hippocratic Oath that you might want to look into. <laughs> or saying to a physicist, you know... Uh, you might want to have a look at this gentleman named uh, A. Einstein, who I think will have some things that might be of interest to you. Um, <laughs> I mean, please. Oh, my God. I <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> People point me to these uh, completely obvious sources. 
and think that um, that I've just sort of fallen off a truck and decided to write philosophy with no, <laughs> not even not even looking up any of the opinions that came before. <laughs> And it says right there in my biography that, you know, right at the bottom of the Lou Rockwell article that I've got a fairly decent education and so on. And, uh, <laughs> I just find that stuff kind of funny. And I bet you dollars to donuts that the people who refer me to the stuff have not read the sources, them, have not read themselves, have not read the sources themselves, or if they have read them like 20 years ago. And it's this sort of, I always think of Frazier uh, in this kind of instance, you know, where um, he can't, he always has to work in that he went to Harvard, you know, within the first 30 seconds of meeting someone. And uh, that he was in the Mikado. <laughs> Witty and gay. <laughs> but uh, it is, um, uh, it's funny, right? I mean, it's funny because uh, if they think that, <laughs> if they think I'm going to be impressed by the fact that they're a doctor and a lawyer and a master of time, space, and travel, um, I just think that's kind of funny. I mean, it's sad, really. Uh, it's sad. And obviously, it's deeply, deeply insecure, right? It's deeply... And look, I, I'm not going to claim to be immune to this stuff. Uh, I do throw out M.A. at the end of my name. And uh, that may look silly. It may look uh, not look silly. But I do want to differentiate myself from a whole horde of self-appointed thinkers uh, who are out there in the libertarian movement uh, who... And I'm not... I'm looking, I mean, there was some good stuff that I got out of my uh, master's degree. There was some rigor in thinking. There was an extraordinary exposure to... A lot of great source materials which really have helped shape uh, how it is that I view things and the semi-easy access uh, until next year when my brain starts decaying, but uh, some semi-easy access to some source materials and to some historical examples. Uh, so there's been some great stuff that I've gotten from uh, from that. And uh, so, uh, so I sort of, you know, maybe that's a bad thing to do. I don't say to anyone, though, that I'm right because I have a master's, right? I would say to people that... Uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to your argument, right? But I don't get that kind of stuff. I do get a lot of condescending, you know, a curious and interesting piece, young man. Uh, and that's great, you know, and I, I generally reply and say, well, I, I appreciate you writing to me. One of the things that you might try is actually responding to my arguments, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's great that you're sending me your resume and that you think that I'm wrong, but so what? I mean, I could send my resume to uh, whoever I wanted in the scientific community and say, I've been reading science for 20 years, and I think you're full of nonsense. Well, that's great, but, you know, where have I made, <laughs> where have I made an error? That's, you know, it would be kind of nice. Um, and this is, it's very sad, really. I mean, fundamentally, it's, uh, it's a broken soul who has to write to someone in a condescending manner. And uh, just don't get me wrong, it makes me angry, too. But, you know, fundamentally, it's kind of heartbreaking because obviously there's a genuine desire for knowledge somewhere in there and there's a desire for education and there's a desire for facts. But um, this sort of crutch of credentials and uh, this, uh, I guess maybe they've, uh, maybe they're the big fish in a little pond, maybe this sort of person, you know, that they, uh, you know, they're the most educated person around them. And so maybe they've used that education to sort of get their way. And I think that's, that's kind of sad, right? Uh, education should be about, uh, you know, to me, I mean, if, if you get educated and if other people around you have less education, then you should use that to help them. I mean, I think, right? I mean, it's sort of like becoming a doctor and a nutritionist uh, in, along, uh, in a land where people are sick and sickly and simply applying all those principles to yourself and then prancing around saying, well, I'm about the healthiest person ever. Aren't I really healthy? Look at how healthy I am. Boy, you're not healthy at all. 
Uh, it would be great, I think, if you study all of these things, and we study knowledge in order to communicate knowledge. We don't study knowledge in order to dominate other people and make them feel insecure. At least decent people don't, right? Immoral people don't. Um, you study knowledge in order to communicate knowledge, to communicate the joy of knowledge in very high-pitched tones, apparently. Um, so I haven't, you know, the coffee's just not been relaxing my throat, so let me take a sip. Uh, you know, we, uh, we study knowledge to communicate it, and to use the study of knowledge to... Um, uh, to bully other people um, and to make them feel um, or try to make them feel insecure and worthless and and like they've just done a really terrible job and that uh, you know it's a good effort you know it's like watching uh, I don't know like a three-year-old kid uh, pound his forehead into the piano saying well that's a uh, that's quite musical for someone your age that's uh, you know you might want to try your fingers but uh, you know maybe one or two of them out of your nose and on the keyboards would be a good thing but, you know, the forehead uh, certainly did make quite an impressive sound. Uh, that kind of condescension, <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty insulting for a child too, right? Um, but that kind of stuff is uh, just sad. And, of course, it doesn't escape my notice, though, of course, it's designed to. Uh, it doesn't escape my notice that there's a chilling lack of actual content in the emails that I get. And I would say this is pretty true uh, of just about uh, everything that I receive. There's not so much true on the on the, um, on the the Sunday chats, and it's not true of everything on the board. There have been some great feedback. But, you know, we still have a long way to go in terms of actual intellectual content and argument from first principles. You know, if somebody says this is true, uh, you can say, well, what is true, right? So, uh, so with this uh, lady who goes and says, well, here's how the buffalo were used or the bison were used by the Indians, it's like, well, how do you know? How do you know? Because a bunch of government people have told you so? Because somebody has written it down? And you may say that the source articles that I used are not true, but at least they're consistent with what we see in the world today, right? So uh, we do see that capitalists use every part of a cow, and we do see that Indians um, have certainly the capacity to waste enormous amounts of their own lives uh, and, uh, and uh, waste their children's, uh, uh, waste, waste the future and possibilities of their children. So the idea that, um, but then, of course, it's like, well, it's the white man who's corrupted them and so on. But uh, when you go to source materials that are entirely contradictory to, um, to sort of knowledge that you have around you, then, uh, sorry, if you go to secondhand information that's entirely contradictory, uh, then it's sort of like in a, in a court case when you say, uh, well, I know he couldn't have done the murder because he's a nice guy. Um, uh, but it turns out that he had a smoking gun in his hand and this and that. Then the hearsay is a little bit, right? Whereas if it's a character witness and, you know, the guy's got an alibi and this and that, and, you know, 15 people are swearing that he's the best guy ever, uh, then that may have some validity. But if it's in contradiction to the evidence, hearsay doesn't really count, right? So if someone tells you something that they read somewhere else, which is based on someone else's opinion that contradicts your direct experience of the world, i.e. that capitalists love to use everything that they can get their hands on, they love turning waste into a product. I mean, there's nothing better, right? Because it saves you the cost of disposing it, plus you make money from selling it. So it's the best thing ever. But uh, those those kinds of things are you know, just important to, important to remember, and uh, I think we still do have a bit of a ways to go in terms of just um, uh, working with syllogisms, right? Working from first principles, and it's tiring, and it's exhausting, and it's sometimes it feels like you're getting absolutely nowhere, and sometimes it feels like you're going in circles. But there is a lot, still a lot of shooting from the hip, and this is not on our board in particular. This is in the society as a whole. I and mean, you see these kinds of bitchy philosophies, this kind of bitchy philosophizing going on all over the place. And I, so I do get the bitchy, I get the bitchy emails as well, right? And these, uh, uh, you know, no, uh, no disrespect to bitches, but um, the bitchy emails are, uh, 
uh, they're pretty <laughs> they're pretty annoying um, but uh, and and uh, the bitchy emails are just like oh so you want a society where uh, you know people have to eat their own feet to stay alive oh you want this oh you're like this and it's like oh yeah that's a freaking great argument boy what a titan of intellectual achievement you are <laughs> yeah well you're funny looking and those ones, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't generally tend to respond to too much. I mean, I will sort of point out that they haven't actually made an argument, you know. Or you could just make an argument and uh, help uh, disprove me, right? But uh, this kind of uh, they're they're tossing it off, right? I mean, and this is sort of the contradiction, right? Because this is the toss off that you get uh, that to, to British people is a little bit different than what uh, uh, what I mean here. But you will get uh, this. Um, uh, oh, uh, you know, I only have uh, time to write you a very uh, quick email uh, because you're so wrong that uh, I'm not even going to bother spending an enormous amount of time because um, where do I even start with the enormity and depth of your error? But uh, I just wanted to toss off a quick email to tell you that you're totally wrong. Uh, good luck next time. Right? <laughs> That's the, you get the short, uh, the curt email as well, you know, um, uh, where uh, somebody says, oh, well, yes, but the government would dissolve. If without the government, we just have nothing but warring tribes and society would end. And it's like, oh, man, I wish I'd thought of that. What a great objection. Wow, been writing this stuff, working in Libertarian 20, 25 years, and gee, I really wish I'd figured that one out. Boy, that would have saved me an enormous amount of time and effort, and I wouldn't have had to put out all of this stuff in the public realm to embarrass myself as such a substandard and ridiculous thinker who can't think of the most obvious and automatic objection that everyone has <laughs> to this kind of stuff, right? Um, and it's sort of like, you know, hey, I've invented a, a vaccine for uh, for cancer. It's like, well, yes, but people don't like taking injections. Oh, bummer. Well, let me just put it away again. So uh, there's there's those kinds of, uh, of emails that I get uh, as well. And then, of course, I get the uh, yours in Christ emails. And uh, those are from the Christian libertarians who will back up my arguments with Scripture. <laughs> Chill. Uh, that stuff's all quite exciting, um, and uh, um, I certainly will not let one of those go go by without sending them back a link to, uh, uh, you know, maybe proof disproven deities. I think podcast thirteen stuff like that, where I will have just a little bit of fun with them, uh, just because the yours in Christ uh, emails um, are uh, well, they're kind of annoying. They really are. I mean, it's like, uh, oh boy, the blinkedness of these religious people. I'm telling you. The blinkedness of these religious people. They, they think I should be a Christian, right? I mean, because, you know, Christ, you know, uh, the church said that Christ is good, right? It's like, why well, I should I should drink Keith's beer because Keith says it's really good. Right? So, <laughs> of course, at least I can objectively taste the beer and so on. But they say, well, Christ has told me uh, that Christ is king. And uh, sorry, that, and if, they, if it's Christ himself, then I won't email them back because they're obviously delusional and possibly psychotic. But uh, it's like, well, my... You know, my priest told me that I should give him money. I mean, that I should obey the Lord. And uh, sometimes I'll have fun sort of email them back and say, well, um, you believe that I should be a Christian because your holy book tells you that you should, uh, that I should be uh, a Christian. Um, but uh, help me understand this. Um, everybody's holy book, like uh, uh, the, the Koran, right? The Muslim's holy book tells uh, everyone that they should be, uh, uh, they should be, um, uh, Islamic, and so uh, given that the principle is that uh, you should um, you should obey every holy book, then uh, why why are you not an Islam? Uh, why are you not Islamic? I don't understand because their book says right. Well, it's because my book is correct and their book is incorrect. Well, 
How do you know that? Well, my book says so. Well, but their book says that they're totally correct as well. Uh, so how do you know that? It's like, well, but I pray and God tells me. It's like, well, but their God, you know, tells them that, uh, and their priests tell them that uh, it's all perfectly correct and everyone else is incorrect and and so on. And uh, so I'll have a little bit of fun with that sort of stuff, right? I mean, because, you know, the way that, um, <laughs> which is kind of funny, right? And Sam Harris points this out as well. It's the way that uh, a Christian looks at, I don't know, uh, Zoroastrianism or uh, Zeus worship or, uh, I don't know, uh, Satanism, the way that a Christian looks at that, like, what a bizarre belief. That looks, uh, that's how Christianity looks to me, um, but times a million. Right, I mean, if somebody who worships elves looks at somebody who worships goblins and says, well, that's just bizarre. Well, how is it that somebody who recognizes that neither elves nor goblins exist looks at both people who are arguing about it should be a goblin or it should be an elf, right? You both look a million times more bizarre, right? So that the strangeness with which a Christian will look at somebody of a different faith, uh, like the fundamental strangeness, um, and it's you, you've got to take the widest conceivable uh, faith. I don't know what it would be, but uh, maybe the way in which uh, uh, a Christian would look at somebody who worships the cat god's um, Aman or whatever, I can't remember, a set or something like that. Um, or the way in which uh, a Christian would look at a pagan druid a ceremony and say, well, that's just weird. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly, I mean, that that's as the furthest you could get away from Christians, the way that they look at other things. Uh, that's how all religion and all superstition looks to somebody who's rational or, you know, sensible. Uh, but times a million, right? Because it's like, well, my, my faith is, you know, deep and rich and noble, and their faith is just weird dancing in sheets. Um, so my faith is, you know, more sensible and so on. But that's that's just the it's the river you swim in, right? I mean, the river you swim in feels like the right temperature, and everyone else's river feels like really warm and really cold. But, oh, it's just kind of funny. So I'll, you know, say, uh, so under what principle should I convert to your religion, right? Well, because... You know, the holy guy says so. It's like, but everybody's holy guy says so. Why should I choose your religion? Well, because our religion is the best. It's like, well, why? Well, because uh, the Bible says it's the best. It's like, but everybody's holy book says that it's the best religion. So why should I choose yours again? And I'll sort of play around a little bit with that. Um, of course, I mean, they never get it, right? They never get it, right? Uh, well, because it will bring you peace and joy and love and brotherhood. It's like, well, maybe. But of course, everybody's religion says that they'll bring you peace and joy and love and brotherhood. So how do I know? Well, uh, all the other religions are bad. Well, they say that about you. So I'm still not sure exactly why uh, I should uh, become a Christian rather than, uh, you know, some other religion, uh, Hindu or Buddhist or whatever, right? Why should I, why should I not uh, pursue that, uh, that path? Um, and then they sort of give up in frustration and <laughs> don't email me ever again, which is, you know, uh, a good thing. And I don't imagine that I'm making any converts. That's just for funsies. But um, that kind of stuff is always uh, always kind of enjoyable, those kinds of letters. Um, they're yours in Christ, people. And they have, like, these multicolored footnotes of uh, uh, Bible to, uh, quotes and so on. And it's never the ones that say, uh, put atheists to death. There's never those, never those ones. Never the ones that say, sell your daughters into sexual slavery, but make sure you get a good price and do it reasonably. It's never the one where Christ says that slave, uh, slaves should obey their master with fear and trembling and should obey their Christian masters even more because they're doing service to a Christian. Uh, they should. They never talked about you know that. They never sort of quote that kind of stuff. Where, where uh, you know, one of the reasons slavery lasted so damn long in the world was because of Christianity and other religious texts, and the fact that uh, Islam got rid of slavery before Christianity did. Never sort of focus on that kind of stuff. Well, it doesn't doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. <laughs> it doesn't fit. Christ is love. <laughs>
But, uh, boy, there's no love like a Christian question, right? I mean, you can feel the love coming off the, <laughs> the Christian or the religious person that you question. You know, if, if Christ was love, I'm sorry, this, I'm just, you know, I'm almost at uh, my office. I'm a minor tangent. But, uh, you know, if Christ was love, I mean, I would have uh, an enormous amount of uh, greater respect for uh, Christianity. If, um, if when you question Christians, they responded with love and positivity, not with hostility and bitchiness, right? Uh, the theory of uh, psychology and philosophy would predict that when somebody is enmeshed in a collective fantasy for dishonorable reasons, right, conformity and fear and, and pompos, uh, pomposity and self-righteousness and so on, that when you start to probe the intellectual uh, crater that is their brain, uh, that faith has uh, wiped out all living forms <laughs> of... Um, that they would respond with uh, uh, fear and hostility, right? I mean, that would be uh, the inevitable response. And the more that they preach uh, love and tolerance and so on, the more they're going to respond with a kind of pompous, self-righteous kind of... Uh, uh, sorry, one sec. Let me change my lanes, change my lanes, change my lanes. It's like you're in the car with me and can't get a word in edge. But, um, yeah, the more that you would expect that people who are enmeshed in a dishonorable collective superstition, uh, that when, when questioned, that they would respond with fear and hostility, uh, that's inevitable, right? And, of course, if they did actually respond with uh, love and, and tolerance and intellectual integrity, then um, that, would be, uh, that would be something, right? I mean, it's, it, it, you know, the real moment of, of, of the real sort of uh, moment of truth, so to speak, when, um, which occurs when somebody uh, is confronted with an error, right? When you, uh, when you are confronted with an error. The real moment of truth is how do you respond to that, right? How do you respond when somebody points out an error? Do you get angry at them? Uh, do you get frustrated? Do you, do you try change your story? Do you imply that they just don't understand? Do you change the topic? Do you ignore what they say? Do you, I do do all of these slippery, sleazy, dishonorable, ely kind of things? Or do you say, well, that's great. You know, uh, I appreciate that. Uh, we march together as brothers and sisters in pursuit of truth. That's wonderful. I really appreciate that. Uh, error is good, right? I mean, if if you think that uh, eating chocolate is the best thing in the world and you're a steady diet of, of chocolate, uh, and then your nutritionist says, well, here's the proof that that's not a good thing to do, do you say, uh, well, screw you, you're, you're, you're a crappy nutritionist, right? Uh, or, uh, you know, make any of the other kinds of uh, um, illogical, disruptive, horrible, hostile, disgusting kinds of uh, responses that, that occur when you prove somebody incorrect. Do you do that, or do you say, wow, I really appreciate that. You have just saved me from a lifetime of diabetes. Uh, that's wonderful, especially if, you know, say, you're not paying <laughs> the nutritionist, as in the case of most of the people who listen to this. Uh, do they say that? No, uh, most people won't won't do that. And uh, it's really a moment of truth, right? It, it, that, that That's where your future life really hangs in the balance. And it's not any curse of mine or anything. It's just the nature of reality that if you, um, in that moment, this is where you get to be, uh, you know, a grown-up and to deal with error in a mature and responsible manner, or you stay a spiteful child, uh, no disrespect to children intended, uh, you stay a spiteful child and error uh, becomes your home, right? Error becomes your, your ecosystem. And the truth, uh, you know, the truth doesn't fight back. This is an important thing to understand. The truth will not fight you. The truth will not fight you. Uh, I won't. I will rarely fight in that sense. But, uh, like, I don't, you know, continue to pursue people who are obviously irrational. 
you will not get uh, any particular um, uh, fight back from truth, right? So if you, in that moment, if you sort of attack other people and get angry and get spiteful and get venomous and, and you know, change your, your story, change your tune, change your topic and all this kind of nonsense, the truth will uh, say, okay, I'm out of here. Uh, the, the, and within your own soul, not sort of whatever, right? But the truth will just uh, bugger off, right? It won't fight you. It won't sort of lash you and so on in the way that uh, error seems to. But uh, truth will just vanish from your life and uh, won't come back, right? The, the way that, um, you know, if you yell at a first date, she's just not going to call you back, right? I mean, if you, if, you, um, if you abuse the truth, the truth just evaporates and vanishes from your life. And then you continue to progress. I mean, you get that flush of self-righteous happiness, which to some people seems to be a good substitute for correcting error. And so you get that sort of immediate hit. But what will happen in the long run, of course, is that you will end up with, uh, uh, you know, your life is hollowed out. Your soul uh, dies a little bit more each day, and it becomes harder and harder to reverse that trend. And you become sort of like a pestilence. I mean, frankly, I think you become a sort of pestilence in the world because now you're committed to this era, uh, to this destruction of the truth and to this um, uh, to error. And so you spread it, right? You, uh, you provoke it. You are constantly changing people's stories. And this is where, of course, a lot of people send me emails. Uh, and when I correct them, uh, they don't respond, or when I ask them to actually clarify an argument that I can understand rather than just quoting me a bunch of uh, unrelated, or even if it is related, uh, just quoting me a bunch of other people. When I say I'd really appreciate it if you would give me, I mean, if you're certain that I'm wrong, right? Because this is what people have done, right? This is what they have done. This is so important. When they write to me and they tell me that I'm incorrect, what they have done is they have made a, a statement, made a claim. You've really got to be careful about this kind of stuff. They've made a claim. You, Steph, are incorrect. And I didn't ask them to make that claim. I didn't force them. I didn't hold their hands and make them type that claim. Right? They've put themselves out there, made a claim, made a statement. And when you do that, then uh, you are proposing something. Right? I propose something. Uh, I say 2 plus 2 is 4. Somebody comes back and says, that's totally wrong. It's green. Then they are proposing. Then now they're in a status of proposing something. Now, if I've proposed that something... Uh, and then I've made a logical error, and you point out that logical error, I'll come to the conclusion that I'm wrong, right? I'll come to that conclusion, of course, right? If somebody points out logical error, I'll come to that conclusion, no problem. But uh, if somebody says you're wrong, then they've obviously said, I know why you're wrong, right? It's a very dishonorable thing to say that somebody is wrong without having some uh, facts to back it up, or at least some theories, or at least an approach that is coherent, right? Whether it's right or not, right? But... If you, uh, if you go out there and you say so-and-so is wrong, then if that person says, now you, you have to support your proposition, right? So if somebody writes to me and says, Steph, you're wrong, I have every right to say, you now must support your proposition, right? I can't sort of believe that I'm wrong just because you say so. That would be ridiculous. But um, they then uh, will have to uh, respond to that and, and to prove their assertion. And what they do in that moment, like what they do in that moment is so important, is so important. And I just, I bet you that uh, people will not listen to this if they're this type of person. But I sure hope that at least some of them do. Or if those of you on the balance do, I think this would be great. When somebody calls you on something, and I know it's horrible, and I know that it's really hard, and I know it feels like uh, abusive. When somebody calls you on something, when you go out there and make a statement that's kind of nonsense, and maybe you don't know it at the time, maybe you really genuinely think and feel that it's true, but when you go out there and you make a statement and somebody says, interesting, let's see your supports, let's see your supporting documents, let's hear your reasoning, 
then how you react in that moment, if you've been bullshitting, how you react in that moment is so essential. I can't even tell you how essential this is. This is the choice. This really is the choice between the true self and the false self. If you've been bullying someone, if you've been manipulating them, if you've gone out and told them that they're wrong without any uh, proof or evidence or reasons, then you need to say, I'm sorry. Right? You need to humble your false self. The arrogance of the false self, the bullying, the manipulation of the false self, you have to fight it. It is like a devil, a dragon, a monster. It is like that fog in lust, right? I mean, you have to fight it. Because if you succumb to it, it you know, as I said before, its power grows and so on. But if you've gone out on a limb, if you've made a mistake, let's just say you've made a mistake. Let's just say this is a bad habit you've developed. Let's just say, and we've all had to go through this. I've had to go through this, right? Christina's had to go through this. We all had to go through this where we just go out and say stuff uh, in a curt or short or bitchy or, or whatever kind of way. Somebody says, well, maybe you can back that up somehow, right? What we do in that moment, if we look at ourselves and say, you know what? I don't have an answer for this guy. I've told him that he's wrong, but I don't actually know why he's wrong. Well, you could either make something up after the fact, right, and say, well, the reason that I said you were wrong was because of X, Y, and Z. But if you didn't know that X, Y, and Z up front, then that's kind of lying, right? Because then, you, you know, and again, that's, that's going to give yourself permission to do it again, and it's going to give yourself permission for that kind of corruption. It's going to make your life frightening because what we do to others, we fear coming back from them. Right. So don't don't do that. Don't make up something after the fact. Right. Somebody says, well, where's your proof? Right. Uh, you know, if I say, well, why is it you disagree with the argument for morality? And then you go back and read my essays and say, well, here's why I disagree with you. That's dishonest. Right. And I'll see that very clearly, because if you had all those reasons, then you would have put them in the email to correct me. I mean, that's totally obvious. Right. That's that's just that's like watching somebody cheat. And then uh, looking at them saying, hey, look, I got a great mark, right? I mean, that's just so obvious. Or you don't respond at all, right? That's totally unfair. Right? Going to somebody and saying, you're wrong about ethics is a serious, serious charge. Right? You're wrong about ethics. And not only are you wrong about ethics, you're communicating to others about ethics. And you are communicating wrong. You're giving them wrong or bad ethics. That is a desperately serious charge. I take that very, very seriously. I mean, the last thing that I want to do is to corrupt people around the truth and virtue. I mean, that would be a disaster for me. It would be worse than wasting my life. It would be spending my life in the service of that which I despise, evil, corruption, falsehood, lies, and so on. So if somebody says, you're teaching people uh, incorrect ethics, it's a hugely serious charge. You hate the family. You just, uh, you just hate the state. You just hate rules. You just whatever, whatever. I mean, however people frame it. It's a very serious charge. And if you then, if you level that charge against someone and they say, great, what's your evidence? And then you run away, uh, that's, that's pretty bad. I mean, it's a pretty corrupt thing to do. It's a pretty bad thing to do. And I mean, I, I'll survive. I see it very clearly. I mean, you're not fooling anyone over on this side of the, uh, of the pond if you're not in North America. I see it very clearly. So you're not fooling me. Maybe you just want to fool yourself. Maybe you want to, you know, but when you get caught doing something dishonorable, how you react to that is so essential. It's so essential. And there is obviously a grinding kind of humiliation in having to say, you know what? I just screwed this guy. I just manipulated and lied to him and so on and so on. And I shouldn't do that. And I should change my approach and so on. I mean, that's, uh, 
that's hard to do. It's really hard to do. There's a lot of pain back there. There's a lot of being humiliated. And of course, depending on how many times you've done this, and I'm guessing it's quite a few, if this is your habit, then you have a lot of people to apologize to. You have a lot of your own dark side, right? Your own capacity to manipulate and bully. You have to sort of see that. And, and through that, your true self emerges and you you at least gain some ascendancy over the manipulation and lies of the false self. But that moment, don't brush past it. Don't blow past it. Stop and think, have I ever done this to people? Have I ever done this to people? Have I manipulated and, and uh, controlled them and, uh, and abused their integrity and uh, insulted them and condescended to them? And have I escalated in that manner? And we all have. We all have. I absolutely guarantee you we all have. <clears throat> And if you can't admit it, it just means you're going to keep doing it. You can't change what you can't acknowledge. But that's a really worthwhile exercise. What have I done in my life that's wrong? Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more this afternoon. Thank you so much for listening.